Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 11.16 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's the 24th of January, 2023. This is episode 661 of Bitcoin. And I've been told by a listener that I have a low hum that seems to be persistent. I'm not sure yet. I've asked him if it was intermittent or persistent, and I haven't heard back yet. But if you are hearing a hum, let me know. Um, cause I, I want to make sure that it's more than, more than one person, uh, that's hearing this and get, and is getting annoyed by it. Cause hums are annoying. Don't, you know, it, this shit, if that shit's there, it doesn't need to be there. The reason I'm asking you is that I have one set of headphones that I'm using for this. And when, so every time I do a show, I play it back, not the whole thing. I just like, you know, take little sections just to make sure that, you know, everything from end to end, you know, got there and there's not an obvious, I don't know, aliasing problem with the MP3 format and things of that nature. And I am not hearing said hum, but that may be because my headphones are not allowing or somehow or another not rendering that hum at those low tones to my ear. So I'm going to need y'all's help. Could you, uh, could you guys verify whether or not you're hearing a hum in the background. And, uh, and I mean, it's not like I'm not going to try to figure it out myself, but I may not be able to hear it um, because my headphones are not registering in, in, you know, low enough. So that's, I just need a little bit of help and a couple of other pairs of ears on this. And it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Now, um, yeah, well, you know what? Let's just get into this. Let's start with this one. Uh, the CEO of Canadian Utility that proposed mining, or sorry, CEO of Canadian Utility that proposed banning new power to crypto miners has exited Hydro-Quebec. Right. If you have not been, if, if a while back, Hydro-Quebec was in the news because they had given like some really sweet deals to Bitcoin miners that moved in, uh, really low power, uh, rates on long-term contracts. And then I, I don't know, it was, I don't even think it was a year later. They reneged on all those contracts and said, Nope, we're not doing it. And then somehow or another, they kind of flip-flopped. It's sort of like the India move where they don't know what they're doing. They say one thing and then they do another, and then they do another thing. And then they say something else and they do completely opposite of that very confusing landscape to exist in, especially for somebody that is capital intensive as a Bitcoin miner. They need to know, not kind of, not sort of, they need a contract that people are actually going to honor. Well, not terribly long ago, one of the final decisions came down out of Hydro-Quebec and they were just going to 
ban, they were going to go do it. They were going to ban all new power from crypto miners that were coming in. So let's find out if there's anything more to this story as to her exit. Sophie brought you, oh, by the way, this is uh, Coindesk and it's being written by Ayan Ashraf. I think that's how you pronounce it. Sophie Brochu, the CEO of Hydro Quebec, the utility company of the province of Quebec that late last year proposed suspending new power supplies to the blockchain industry, is departing the firm on April the 11th, according to a January 10th statement. Quote, under her leadership, a new strategic plan was developed in collaboration with a great many internal contributors and representatives of Quebec society, demonstrating her ability to bring people together, said board chair Jacintha Cote in a statement. I can't pronounce French names. Sorry, guys. Hydra Quebec did not name a successor to Brochu, who joined the company as CEO in April of 2020, but said the board will recommend its candidate with the ultimate appointment to come from the Quebec cabinet. Last year, the utility firm proposed to Canada's energy regulator to suspend the allocation of new 270 megawatts power supply already planned for the blockchain industry. The proposal didn't explicitly mention which part of that industry was being targeted, but the Canadian province has been an ideal place for crypto miners to set up due to its abundant sources of clean renewable energy. Miners who have had their operations in in the province, such as Argo Blockchain and Bitfarms, clarified, saying that after speaking to Hydro-Quebec, they confirmed their access to power would continue to remain in place. Energy is one of the largest costs for crypto miners, and the companies thus tend to build their operations in mass in the regions offering cheaper sources of electricity, such as Texas and Quebec. However, their enormous power consumption has sparked a continued global debate amongst policymakers, with some arguing it puts tremendous strain on local power grids, adversely impacting other consumers. Meanwhile, supporters of crypto miners say their operations help absorb excess energy from the grid and incentivize more renewable sources of power. Yeah, well, that's just kind of a throwaway statement. So it seems that our girl from, uh, from Hydro-Quebec that wanted to put the uh, screws to the Bitcoin miners is gone. And those screws to the Bitcoin miners, according to actual Bitcoin miners, uh, have been lifted. So the question, you know, the question kind of becomes, well, was she ousted? Was she told to leave? Did somebody say, you know, uh, this is kind of stupid. We're not, you know, making as much money if we do this. Uh, we're just going to get rid of your ass and get somebody who's more friendly to the Bitcoin mining industry. We don't know. We can only conjecture. But I'll tell you what the clue will be. The decisions of the new CEO of Hydro-Quebec. If the new CEO comes in and says, nope, nope, you're done. We're, we're not giving you any more power, Bitcoin miners. Sorry about it. Sorry for you. Then we know what Hydro-Quebec's, you know, mission is going to be. If he comes in or she comes in and says, no, man, we, we want to sell you as much power as we can. Bitcoin mining is, is, is here to stay, blah, blah, blah. Then the chances are good that Sophie Brochu was ousted because of her hardcore stance that was not allowing Hydro-Quebec to pay its bills. Moving on. 
world's largest Bitcoin ATM software platform has been acquired by BitStop founders, Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey reporting. Genesis Coin Incorporated, the first and largest Bitcoin ATM software platform in the world, announced that they have been acquired by BitStop founders, Andrew Barnard and Doug Carrillo. According to the press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine, Genesis's, the Genesis Coins technology powers over 35% of all Bitcoin ATM transactions around the world. Barnard and Carrillo built one of the first and largest private label Bitcoin ATM platforms through BitStop. Based in Miami, Florida, BitStop has over 2,500 Bitcoin ATMs worldwide. Quote, as part of the acquisition, Andrew Barnard will become chief executive officer and Doug Carrillo will become chief strategy officer and both will join the board of directors of Genesis Coin, the release states. Even Rose, Genesis Coin's founder, will stay on as a technical advisor and remain a member of the company's board of directors. The Genesis Coin headquarters will then move to, you guessed it, Miami, Florida, together. The Genesis Coin and BitStop represents more than 75 operators with more than 12,000 Bitcoin ATMs across the United States and internationally, facilitating annual sales volume in the billions of dollars. In regard to their decision to acquire Genesis Coin, Barnard said Genesis Coin gave birth to the Bitcoin ATM industry. It's the first and largest Bitcoin ATM software platform in the world. Even built a platform, or Evan built a platform, trusted by some of the largest Bitcoin ATM operators in our industry, both domestically as well as internationally, including the Chivo Network in partnership with the government of El Salvador. This transaction represents the coming together of the two leading software platforms in the industry and creates value for both companies' stakeholders, Rose stated. He continued by saying, quote, it further combines the best product, engineering, and leadership teams in the space, and I'm thrilled to work alongside them and look forward to introducing very exciting new products and services that we have planned for this year. I don't know what those could actually be, but it could be interesting. According to the release, for now, both the Genesis Coin and BitStop platforms will continue to run independently while teams explore more technical synergies. So it, what kind of bugs me here is that we're talking about a consolidation of the Bitcoin ATM industry into less hands. This is not what we're about. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that they're bad people, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that I automatically shift into adversarial thinking gear whenever I see consolidations occur because why do consolidations occur in the first place? We were taught that it was good. We were taught that it was, it was so good for so long that we had to build antitrust laws in the United States to keep people out of what? Monopolies. And that's what broke up Standard Oil. That's what broke up AT&T. Well, actually, at the time, it was Ma Bell, but, or Bell Telephone, I think it was the proper term, but they called it Ma Bell because it was the mother of all the baby bells that fell out after an antitrust suit, I think in the very late 1970s or the very early 1980s, broke up the entire telephone system into, you got Mountain Bell, you had Pacific Bell, 
You had like Atlantic Bell. I, I, yeah, I don't know. There was all, they were all called the baby bells because everybody was always taught that you just, you keep accumulating, you keep accumulating and you, you buy and 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 you buy. You make sure that there is no competition because competition is a sin. And I can't remember who said that, but I think it might've been Rockefeller. Competition is not a sin. It's not. It, and, and when you think that way, it causes serious problems. It causes serious problems in the, the, the pace and path of innovation of technologies. It causes serious problems in the ability to get good customer service to a larger group of people. Because the more you consolidate a single thing like, I don't know, AT&T's wireless telephone network, and you have problems, they can't hire enough customer service representatives to adequately help you and you end up with what? Really pissed off customers that start looking for something else, but then there is nothing else to go look for because why? AT&T reconsolidated as if the breakup of the Bell telephone system never occurred. So even in the wake of antitrust laws, which aren't, they're, they're not even addressed anymore, by the way. I mean, there was a time when they were talking about an antitrust suit by the government against uh, Microsoft Corporation back in the, I don't know, late mid 80s or something like that, because they saw which way that shit was going. And they weren't, and, and nobody's done anything since. There's, I don't think there's been an antitrust lawsuit in, in the court system in the United States since the Ma Bell breakup. Honestly, I can't remember of anything. If, if you do, let me know. There might've been something with GM. I'm not exactly sure. But in either event, it seems to be that the human condition contains not only fear and, you know, not thinking clearly. And we put all manner of filters in front of our eyes to see things the way we want to see. But one of the other things that's intrinsic is this, and I'm not even going to say, you know, accumulation. It's like this anti-entropy uh, way of thinking. And what's entropy? Well, entropy is what guarantees that all of the air in the room that you're in right now isn't going to immediately end up in one quarter of the room and everything else is a vacuum. Entropy is the way chaos kind of spreads stuff out just naturally. That's why the, you know, the atmosphere is not just all over the North Pole. It's all spread out. And entropy is what, what does that. Entropy is what expands sort of how the universe is expanding. And it goes to everything. Entropy is everywhere. It's not just in particular systems. It's might as well be a, like the law of gravity or, or the, like, like the fifth force of nature. You know, you got the, the weak force, the strong force, the electromagnetic force, and gravity. Those are the four basic forces of the universe you might as well go ahead and say that entropy was created at the same time and that's the fifth force. That's how important and how permeated throughout the fabric of creation that entropy is. It's not something to be dismissed. And yet humans have this ability to be anti-entropists where we don't want things to be spread out. We want to collect things and it shows in corporate well, in, cor in corporations around the world, China does it too. They, they learned it from us. You know, there's very few indigenous peoples on the face of the planet 
that don't think this way anymore because we've been trained to collect shit up. It's not good for Bitcoin. That's what I'm getting at. Because you end up with all the eggs in your basket, you are the central point of failure, right? So I don't like this story. I would rather them have not done this, but they have, and we're gonna have to watch and see what happens. Now, let's do uh, some boostograms. Let's see if I've even, actually, let's see if I've even got some boostograms. Let's go over to Fountain, and we'll go over to my show, uh, wherever the hell my show is. There it is, Bitcoin and an episode 660, if, if it will come up. Internet's being really weird today, probably because Noster blew the sh blew up yesterday. If I can remember to uh, talk about, well, actually, I might have to talk about it now while this thing loads. For whatever reason, my internet is extremely slow. So, Noster yesterday. If you weren't on Noster, Edward Snowden decided to uh, gr uh, grace everybody with his public key, and every relay burnt to the ground almost freaking immediately it was hilarious i was like i got on you know it's like i you know pulled up my domus app on my uh on my iphone and realized immediately that shit was going slow and i'm like what up and then like five posts in a row were reposting edward snowden's first post to to the nostra universe which in and of itself i mean i, I don't really don't get into all the the hero worship but Snowden hasn't really had a public voice in a long time because he's like a, a, a completely sanctioned individual, right? I mean, it's, it, 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 it would behoove us to agree that, um, that, he's been, that he's a sanctioned individual. He hasn't had a voice for years. Why? Because he pissed off the United States government. And he's in Russia, I guess he's still in Russia. And, um, hold on, hold on, holding, holding. I got to do this a different way. Uh, sorry about that. Okay. I'm back. I had to do this a different way to get to, to fountain, but I'll finish up with the whole Noster thing. Noster is basically still on fire this morning, right? I can't remember exactly when Snowden dropped his first thing. But Nostra is still on fire. Relays are still melting down. Everything is slowed down on the network. And this is how you know you're winning. Personally, I think we've already won and people just don't know it yet. But I'll give the benefit of the doubt and say that we're, we're in the process of winning right now. And it's not just because of Edward Snowden. He's just a guy, honestly. I mean, like I said, I, I don't get into hero worship. But it is nice to see somebody who's basically had his voice utterly squelched off of almost every platform that I can imagine and somehow or another finds his way over to Noster and he did he actually did it right he mined a public key you can do that by the way if you didn't know um he mined of what's called a vanity address so like what Andreas Antonopoulos did back in the day he uh, mined a wallet address using some software that shows proof of work and went through address after address after address until he found one that said Snowden at the first of his address, 
and he put a lot, I mean, he put a lot of uh, GPU and CPU power into mining that address, which shows that he kind of understands what the hell's going on. I didn't mine a vanity address. I don't think I actually need one, but if you do, if you think you do and want to go do that, there's a GitHub repository for Rana, R-A-N-A. You can go look that up. Just, I don't know, DuckDuckGo or Google or whatever you're using. Uh, Rana, R-A-N-A, and GitHub repository, and you'll probably find it. You might want to put in, I don't know, uh, public key mining or something like that. You'll find it. But it's interesting to see that Snowden not only got onto this platform, but that he got onto it in a way that was kind of spectacular, honestly. Uh, I mean, kudos, dude. You know, credit where credit is due. Now, Boostagrams. Bubba, with a huge 30,000 sap boost, says, Hi, Roland, because, well, hell, it's only money, and I'll be dead soon. Happy birthday to you, old geezer. <laughs> Thanks, Bubba. Uh, Van Man Jr. says, with 20,000 Satoshis behind it. Keep the analysis coming. It keeps me occupied while I work. Yep, more than happy to do that, sir. Uh, George, J-O-R-J, underscore X, underscore McKees, with the thousand sat says, when you finally get some farmer ranchers in front of a mic, I would ask them, what the fuck, 1971, he's talking about what the fuck happened in 1971, and how aware they are of the fiat debt generational Ponzi. I'm going to rec or I'm going to suggest that they probably know more than we think that they know. And that more of them probably think or know a lot more about this than we think that they do. That's, uh, that's going to be the gamble, but that's a good question to ask. And I will be asking that that's going to be part of, I, th I think it's going to be like, I want to know, I want them to tell you why they do what they do. But more importantly, I want them to go through why is the work important? Because a lot of people will see like the, the Marlboro Man commercial or I don't, well, actually not that, but like, I don't know, Yellowstone, which I still have yet to watch and go, oh my God, I don't want to do that. Well, people are doing it and there are people that love it. Why? Why does that work that looks so hard and grueling and unforgiving to so many people, not that to them. I think that that's an important question to ask. And also, how do they do it? How do you go about starting a ranch? Even, I mean, how, is there a way to start small? Is there a way to survive? It's going to be, I think it's going to be easier with things like the beef initiative moving forward that it will be, but it's going to take a while, but we have to have it happen. Otherwise, there's no beef for me and I want beef. And if by God, if it gets down to the point where I have to raise it myself, I'll do it. I kind of want to do it anyway, but it's, it, it would be hard for me because I'm a little bit on the older side. If I was 24, it'd be a different deal, but I'm not. And I've, I've got to understand my limitations on that. But if it came down to it, you know, cause I don't want to live in a city anyway. I want to be out on the, on the outskirts or, you know, in between two cities where I got to drive at least 15 minutes to get to a store. If I need one, I will figure out a way to grow cattle and, and not get killed and do it the right way where it's benefiting me, the land and the animal itself. Now, moving on again, Nick underscore dose with 369 sats. 
and says just cheers. <laughs> hey, I looked, by the way, since I'm over here on fountain.fm, I looked at the charts. And while I used to be, before Christmas, I used to be in the top 10 I'm sucking swamp water down in number 24. If you guys want to help me out and you don't want to write anything, I'm going to give you a pass this time. Just boost the living shit out of me to get me back into the top five. And I will appreciate all of you guys in some way, shape, form, fashion, or another. Now, let's get back into the news. Where were we? We are at Listen and Earn allows Bitcoin payments for podcasters and listeners. Oh, this is great to talk about right after I went on my spiel about Fountain. Savannah Fortis coined Telegraph. She starts it out with the word crypto. Don't do that. Crypto has tapped into various industries over the years to enable users with the unique ability to micro-monetize their actions. Play to earn gaming along with earning from music streaming has been the forerunner of this type of crypto integration. On January the 24th, Fountain, a value-for-value podcasting platform, announced a yet a new partnership with ZBD, a financial services company that helps monetize games and apps to enable Bitcoin micropayments for podcast listeners. Oscar Mary, the founder and CEO of Fountain, called the ability to listen to a podcast and earn money for it a powerful combo in the future of content creation. Quote, a few years from now, we'll look back at paid subscriptions for content platforms that aren't related to how much we actually use those platforms and laugh at how basic and inefficient it was, end quote. Additionally, through the partnership with ZBD, users don't need to know anything about cryptocurrencies to take advantage of the rewards through debit and credit card integrations. The CEO told Cointelegraph, that through the use of the Bitcoin Lightning Network specifically, instant, permissionless, and low-fee payments can be programmed that work both within the Fountain app and other open RSS standards. According to Mary, such a development connects a fragmented podcasting industry with, which currently operates across numerous unsynchronized apps and hosting providers. He went on to highlight that every minute spent viewing ads and consuming or creating content increases a platform's value. Quote, why shouldn't you participate in the financial upside of the value you create on the platform? End quote. That's a good question there. As developers continue to prioritize utility and new protocols, adoption of emerging technologies becomes almost unnoticeable. Recently, a Party to Earn initiative targeted the electronic music industry to create a currency that is universal across festival goers, clubbers, and fans. We already have that. It's called Bitcoin. I, how hard is this? Is, is this like some kind of neuroscience or something that takes 15 PhDs to figure out? I mean, how many PhDs does it figure do you need to, to screw in a light bulb? It's amazing, but still the heart of the matter is, is that we've got a partnership of Fountain and ZBD. I wish they had gone into a little bit more of how it works. So ping Oscar Mary, if you're still on Twitter, say, what the hell is all this? Uh, he probably already has a post up. You know, I, I can't, you know why I can't see it because I'm permanently banned off of Twitter. So I'm Noster only at this point. Well, Noster and Fediverse, but 
95% of my time is spent uh, doing Noster stuff. So there you go. Now announcing a hunting sats uh, competition, which is a Bitcoin wallet cracking contest. This is written by BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine, Wasabi Wallet, along with 12 other Bitcoin projects and companies, including Blockstream, BTC Pay, and Trezor, are working together to organize a Bitcoin world treasure hunt called Hunting Sats. For a full week, starting on January the 23rd, 2023, that was yesterday, (coughs) the entities involved will be revealing seed words of a Bitcoin wallet that contains 3,454,811 Satoshis. The companies invite all Bitcoiners to attempt to crack that Bitcoin wallet and claim all of its sats. The announcement sent to Bitcoin Magazine describes how brute forcing will be the method that will allow participants to crack the seed, saying, for this game, brute forcing a Bitcoin wallet means finding the seed words and a passphrase, in this case, arranging them in the right order and using the resulting backup as a way to recover the wallet's funds. There are many ways to achieve this, and general knowledge about Bitcoin wallets, wallets, script types, derivation paths, checksums, passphrases, and BIP39 seed words will be helpful. As more words are revealed, brute forcing gets easier, so time is ticking as people from around the world compete to crack the wallet. In quote, a 12-word passphrase protected Bitcoin address, or a BIP39, generated a BTC address, which now holds all of those sats and they're up for grabs. Each word from the wallet, including the passphrase, were shared with the 12 partners. Over the week, starting with January 23rd, each each of the partners will share their word using the hashtag, hashtag hunting sats. At the end of the week, if no one has successfully accessed the Bitcoin, more hints will be shared. The complete list of partners include BTC Pay, Trezor, CryptoSteel, Blockstream, Bull Bitcoin, HODL HODL, Bitcoin Reserve, CoinKite, Swan Bitcoin, uh, BTC TKVR, Mempool.space, and Wizards R. Wait, wait, Wizard Sardine. <laughs> Never heard of that one before. For all general information regarding the contest, including updates about the words that have been revealed to the public, visit HuntingSats.com. Let's let's go. Let's let's go there. Let's see if there's any any words. Hold on. Updates. Updates. There we go. I'm on the website, huntingsats.com. It says updates, uh, seed cracking in progress. The following words have been revealed by official partners. Blast, B-L-A-S-T, revealed by CryptoSteel. Hollow, the word hollow, has been revealed by CoinKite. So there's only two out of 12 words so far kind of falling behind. So uh, you guys get on it. Now, Binance holds token collateral and user funds on the same wallet by quote unquote mistake. Oh boy. This is this is classic commingling of funds. But let's find out more before we rant. Helen Parts Coin Telegraph. Major cryptocurrency exchange Binance reportedly admitted that it mistakenly stores some customer funds on the same wallet with its collateral for some in-house tokens. 
After the revelation, Binance started the process of transferring the assets in question to dedicated collateral wallets. Binance mistakenly put collateral for some of the Binance minted tokens or B tokens in a wallet that also holds customer assets, Bloomberg reported today. On Monday, Binance released a proof of collateral for B tokens, providing information for all 94 tokens issued by Binance. For God's sakes, you have almost 100 shitcoins? Dude, that's sick. The firm previously stressed that B tokens are always fully collateralized and backed one-to-one. According to the proof of collateral, Binance reserves for almost 50% of all B tokens are currently stored in a single wallet called Binance 8. The wallet holds significantly more tokens in reserve than required for the amount of B tokens that Binance has issued. That allegedly suggests that Binance mixed collateral with client coins rather than storing such assets separately. Despite the matter relating only to B tokens, such a wallet management system would apparently contradict Binance's own wallet guidelines. According to Binance's proof of reserve page, the exchanges or the, uh, hold on, uh, the exchange's corporate holdings are recorded in separate accounts and do not form part of the proof of reserves calculations. Binance stated, quote, when a user deposits one Bitcoin, Binance's reserves increase by at least one Bitcoin to ensure client funds are fully backed. It is important to note that this does not include Binance's corporate holdings, which are kept on a completely separate ledger, end quote. According to Bloomberg, Binance has admitted that it stores B tokens mixed with its own reserves by mistake and is doing its best to fix the issue soon. Oh, soon, TM. Quote, Binance is aware of the mistake and is in the process of transferring these assets to dedicated collateral wallets, a spokesperson for Binance reportedly said. The representative also noted that Binance 8 is an exchange cold wallet, adding that collateral assets have been previously moved into this wallet in error. Binance did not immediately respond to requests for comment. Of course they didn't. As previously reported, Binance launched a proof of reserves process in late November to gain more public trust amid the failure of FTX crypto exchange. By early December, the exchange scored partnership with the accounting firm Mazars as its official POR auditor. Soon after confirming that Binance's Bitcoin were fully collateralized, Mazars removed Binance's POR audits from its website without providing any explanation. I'm not saying Binance is going down. I honestly, wholeheartedly, don't think that it will go down even under a catastrophic mistake. And this is approaching a catastrophic mistake. I do think it will survive. I do think that. But it could be completely torn apart. This is the kind of bullshit that doesn't need to happen. This is the kind of bullshit that we've pulled in from our legacy financial training as children, as parents, as our grandparents, as our great-grandparents. I've said it before. The reason this keeps happening is that we're steeped in this process. This is how we were taught. And I'm not talking about, your, oh, you, you, I can see you saying, well, my dad never sat down and told me how the financial legacy system works. He doesn't have to. You, you get it through his actions, through your mother's, her actions, 
through your grandmother's actions, what they do, what they seem to be concerned with, what they don't think is important. These are, this is all training. You're, you're never out of school. You're, you're always being educated, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not. We've been steeped in the worst manifestations of how humanity thinks about what money is and how it should be treated, where it should be held, and what should it be used for. And it's all coming home to roost because Bitcoin uncovers all of that bullshit. It's like the legacy financial system as a flock, think of a flock of birds hitting a giant windshield. It's like in midair, just this giant Ford Explorer windshield just out there with hundreds of thousands of miles of surface area on it, square miles of surface area in the middle of the geese migration from Canada to the United States. And millions of geese just run in smack headfirst into it and die instantly at the exact same time. I really feel that that's what we're seeing in slow motion. It, these systems do not work together. And for Shang Peng Zhao or CZ, the guy, the CEO of Binance, to sit there and say that this was done by mistake is unacceptable. And I'm not even talking about it from, oh, well, they should be regulated. It's unacceptable for regulation. No, it's unacceptable as being a human. You do not commingle funds. It's dangerous. And I'm not just saying that from the standpoint of you don't want to go to jail. No, I'm saying that it's dangerous because if you had any real humanity in you, you would make deadly fucking sure that this shit didn't occur because you have all these people that are depending on you to get it right. This is not that hard. It, this one, this one was easy. This isn't like CZ having to be responsible for the macro world economic situation that we're in right now. No, all they had to do was make sure that these funds here are over here and these funds on the other side of the room stay on the other side of the goddamn room. It's not hard. This shit is unacceptable. Nobody should think that this, oh, we'll, we'll give them a pass because it's, it's an honest mistake. No, it's not. Even if it is, quote unquote, an honest mistake, it's not honest. It means that you're not watching your shit. Let's run the numbers. Futures and commodities, West Texas Intermediate down almost two points. 1.83% to the downside brings uh, West Texas Intermediate to $80.13 a barrel. Brent North Sea is down further, 2.3% to $86.16. Natural gas doing its thing, 5.86% to the downside. Anybody who's trading volatility on natural gas, if they know what they're doing, is making some bank over the last few months. $3.24 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline down 1.79% to $2.64 a gallon. All of the shiny metal rocks having a good day, including Peter Schiff, the shiniest metalist rock of them all. Half a percent to the upside, 1938 bucks. Silver over 
to the upside, $23.80. Platinum is up just over one point. Copper is moving sideways. Palladium up 2.33%. Ag is mixed. Biggest winner today is wheat, 1.8% to the upside, followed by coin, corn, coin, corn, 1.65% to the upside. Biggest loser today is cotton, one and a quarter to the downside. Dow is up a third of a point. S&P is up barely anything, 0.01%. NASDAQ down 0.17%. S&P mini down 0.12%. Real money chilling out at just over $23,000, We've had 11,946 transactions every hour on the hour on average with a total Bitcoin being sent of 355,000 uh, around the horn in the last 24 hours. The, we got a one point, ah, one and a quarter BTC average transaction value, median transaction value holding steady 0.016 BTC or 362 bucks. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, we got one, no, 0.116 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 16.35 taken in fees in the last 24 hours. We got a 2.58% dip in hash rate. We are now sitting at 281.29 exahashes per second. And your Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator is zero, no, sorry, 8.8 United States pennies. So the shitcoin market apparently just doing fine because nobody's learning their lessons. 12,000 transactions waiting on six blocks to clear. $443.7 billion is the total market cap for Bitcoin. That is three and a half percent of gold's market cap. And we can still get 12.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,271,178.08 of, and 5,232.82 of those are locked in the Lightning Network, uh, valued at $120.5 million dollars being run over 16,014 total nodes, sporting 75,794 payment channels, and 68.4% of all that's being run over Tor. That's your vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Ever wonder how the EU is destroying themselves in the morning? Let's find out. EU lawmakers vote to impose strict capital requirements on banks holding Bitcoin and crypto. BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine, please tell us how they're shooting themselves in the foot. European Union lawmakers have voted to impose strict capital requirements on banks that hold Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies per a Reuters article in an effort to prevent instability in the crypto world from spilling over into the financial system, Marcus Ferber, economic spokesperson for the EU Parliament's European People's Party, says, quote, banks will be required to hold a euro of its own capital for every euro they hold in crypto, end quote. Pausing to say that's probably not a bad idea. Just, I I know, you can throw rotten fruit at me later. I'm just saying, I, I got to say the truth. It just, why not? The question is, can you prove it? That's a whole other set, that's a whole other can of worms. Lawmakers cite the chaos in the market scene over the last few months as further evidence that such regulation is necessary. 
With events like the collapse of FTX, Celsius, and others fresh in the minds of users, the passing of this law is anticipated to be part of a larger set of regulations aimed at bringing the EU into line with international norms. The past regulation mirrors that suggested by the Bank for International Settlements Basel Committee, which also suggested the highest possible risk tier waiting for holding of unbacked crypto. Their recommendation placed a 2% limit on tier one capital that could be held denominated in unbacked cryptocurrencies. Quote, there is no definition of crypto assets in the legislation and therefore the requirement may apply to tokenized securities as well as the non-traditional crypto assets the interim treatment is targeted at. The Association for Financial Markets in Europe, an EU lobby group representing finance organizations like investment banks, said, indicating that the current form of the law could be unclear, but that draft issues may be fixed later on. While the European Parliament's Economic and Monetary Affairs Committee voted to approve the measures, in order for them to go fully into effect, they must also be approved by the European Parliament as a whole and be presented to the National Finance Minister's meeting in the Council of the European Union. So, this is just going, what it's going to devolve into is an attack on on-ramps and off-ramps. It's just like what I was saying yesterday. You saw it with Binance and Swift, his, their Swift banking partner is like, nope, now, unless you got over $100,000 or $100,000 and over, you're not getting it from your bank to Binance so that you can do whatever it is that you do over on Binance, whether it's just buy Bitcoin or trade shit coins or gamble in the casino, or maybe they've even got a troll room. You ain't doing it. Not unless you got 100, 100K, not from your bank. And credit cards and debit cards were still being allowed, but that's going to end pretty soon, I guarantee it. This is the European Union's way of segueing into that on-ramp, off-ramp control because they know, they, they've known for a while, they've tried in public opinion to make sure that people are scared to use it, but it's just, it's just not working. They really are going to put their hands around the neck of the on and off-ramps. And hopefully the story that I brought you yesterday about how to get KYC Bitcoin that's not, has nothing to do with a major exchange like using HODL HODL or BISC or what was the other one? RoboSats, you know, that, that whole list. If you haven't looked at it, it's, I, I used it as, I used the names of all of those on the cover art so that you would have easy access to the names that I talked about. That's why I did the cover art that way. It's not because it's beautiful. It's not. It's utilitarian at best. And it, it has utility, utilitarianism. It has utility insofar that it has the names of all the ways that you can get KYC-free Bitcoin. Start looking into them now because you want to do it now before you need it rather than after you need it. Just saying. Uniswap, I don't normally talk about the shitcoin verse, but I'm going to do it today because it's important. Ezra Roguera from Cointelegraph. Uniswap holders propose ditching Ethereum for the BNB chain to deploy the V3 protocol. Oh boy. The vultures are eating their own. A temperature check proposal to deploy the Uniswap V3 protocol to BNB chain received 
overwhelming support from the Uniswap community on its governance forum. 80% of voters holding Uniswap's UNI token governance, or sorry, governance token, have voted in favor of deploying the third version of the decentralized exchange protocol on BNB chain, a direct rival of the Ethereum network. In a proposal posted on January the 17th, Ela Maximinka, CEO of the decentralized finance protocol Plasma Finance, argued why the Uniswap V3 protocol should be deployed to BNB chain, writing, quote, We believe this is the right moment for Uniswap to deploy on BNB proof-of-stake chain for many reasons. One of them is license expiration, end quote. After the discussion on the governance forum, the Uniswap community conducted a temperature check poll to see if the community approved of the idea. 80% of the votes were in favor of the deployment, while the remaining 20% voted against it. Blockchain software firm Consensus supported the move. This is so weird. Never mind. According to Cameron O'Donnell, Dow governance strategist at Consensus, The firm views the brand of the protocol as standalone and not beholden to any particular chain, despite centralization concerns. O'Donnell explained, quote, Regardless of personal views, Uniswap entering the BSC market will provide current and future users with a secure and established medium for decentralized exchange, end quote. In addition, The consensus executive also said that the firm believes that it's important for Uniswap to be chain agnostic to better serve all users within the Web3 space. Following the approval of the governance proposal, the Plasma Finance team estimates that the deployment of the necessary smart contracts to BNB chain may take around five to seven weeks. On December the 22nd, BNB chain surpassed the Ethereum network in the number of unique addresses. BSC scan data showed that the blockchain had 233 million addresses compared with the 217 million unique addresses on Ethereum. However, while the chain claims to be the largest layer one blockchain, the numbers are far from Bitcoin's network's 1 billion unique users. Actually, I said that wrong. It's 1 billion unique addresses. We don't know who the users are. That's an important mistake to own up to right then and there. Because that's part of the whole education, even if you're not thinking that you're being educated. I can have, and I already do have, multiple addresses. But I'm one user. I got 50 addresses. Hell, I probably have 150 addresses. I'm not using them all. But I've generated them because I use, well, I'm not even going to talk about that. I'm just saying I let's say that I got 150 addresses, Bitcoin wallet addresses. No way to tell. Sure, it's possible to go through chain analytics and try to piece it together. But generally speaking, and especially if those wallets have never had transactions, which many of mine don't, because I have not used them yet, right? There is no chain analytics to be done on that. I don't even think that it knows that it the the thing. Chain analytics can't even know if a wallet address exists or what it is unless a transaction has actually been made on it because that's the only time that your wallet address gets broadcast to the network, right? So I have 150 addresses. I'm one user. 
most of my addresses haven't even been seen by the Bitcoin network. Therefore, chain analytics can't work. See how this gets, this gets really nuanced really fast. And it's, you know, up to us to try to understand it individually and collectively so that we can teach each other. But be that as it may, it is wrong to say that 1 billion unique addresses represents 1 billion unique users. That is not correct. It never will be correct. Just, I think that it's important for me to take time to make sure that people understand that. Now, moving on. After the failure of their stablecoin experiment, Iran and Russia will inevitably adopt Bitcoin. This is an opinion piece by Q Gamey, G-H-A-E-M-I. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it is out of Bitcoin Magazine. Earlier this month, reports surfaced that the Central Bank of Iran is working with the Russian Association of the Crypto Industry and Blockchain to create a stablecoin that will be backed by gold to settle trade. This is not the first foray into the crypto universe for either country, nor will it be the last, but this venture will come to nothing, ultimately bringing both countries one step closer to adopting Bitcoin. In August of 2022, a headline came and went, and most did not hear about it, and those who did gave it little thought. Quote, Iran approves use of cryptocurrency for imports to bust sanctions, end quote ignoring the fact that the source for this headline was a Saudi-funded media outlet with the likely goal of destabilizing and delegitimizing Iran, it is important to recognize that Iran successfully completed a trade in August with an estimated value of $10 million, which can be assumed to have been conducted in Bitcoin. Based on daily volume, there are about 20 possible cryptocurrencies that could have been used to complete this transaction. However, if we take these cryptocurrencies by daily volume and agree that none with a daily volume less than $1 billion could have possibly been used, we're left with seven possible cryptocurrencies. Oh, I have to name them here. Ripple, Solana, USDC, Ethereum, Binance, Tether, and Bitcoin. We can quickly eliminate USDC, Solana, and Ripple because they are all run by U.S. corporations and due to sanction laws they would be forced to prevent Iran from using their platform. Tether can also be thrown out given its link to the United States dollar. I will also throw out Ethereum because Iranians are too cheap to pay those high gas fees. This leaves us with two options, BNB and Bitcoin. Personal bias aside, no one is settling international trade with BNB without Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao taking some sort of victory lap. Bitcoin wins. Iran also previously banned Bitcoin mining operations due to stress on Tehran's power grid. It has since returned all of the mining equipment and, as noted above, made the claim that $10 million in international trade was completed using cryptocurrency. Suffice to say, Iran has begun using the potential of Bitcoin. Russia has also begun to dip its toes into the broader cryptocurrency space. After the United States government responded to the invasion of Ukraine with sanctions, Russia was forced to explore alternatives to completing international trade. President Vladimir Putin's response was to forego the over $500 billion in its reserves and mandate that every buyer of Russian natural gas pay in Russian rubles. The ruble responded very positively to this news. Yes, it, it did. If you look at a chart, it went screaming into the positive direction. 
Russia then slowly began to reverse its 2020 position on cryptocurrencies. Late last year, Russia announced that it will allow international settlements in cryptocurrencies without any restrictions, a huge reversal from its previous stance. These moves proves that Russia sees the potential for cryptocurrencies as a medium of exchange. Both countries have been on the receiving end of U.S. slash Western sanctions, but have found ways to navigate around them to remain in power. The lesson that both of these countries have learned is to trust no one, especially in the world of finance. Putin profusely announced that by freezing Russia's dollar holdings, it practically defaulted, signaling that even the mighty dollar may not be as mighty as the U.S. wants you to believe. Iran is also no stranger to the empty promises of the West. After negotiating and agreeing to a nuclear deal in 2015, President Donald Trump came in and tore up the old agreement. While this may be common practice in some shady business ventures, this is an insult in Persian culture. Every indication that a new nuclear deal will be signed by Iran was laughable. Why would Iran assume the next deal would be upheld after this president left office? Needless to say, the Iranian government has very little trust of foreign governments. Quote, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Plus, quote, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. That equals Iran-Russia relations. In 2023, it almost makes sense to Westerners that Russia and Iran would work together. They're both deemed villains by Western countries, and strict sanctions prevent them both from selling their resources to the world. Both have stockpiles of oil and gas that the world desperately needs, and yet their history is far from harmonious. Until the 1920s, both the United Kingdom and Russia fought over control of the resources of Iran. The Kehar dynasty would bend the knee and give anything foreign powers requested in exchange for wealth and riches for its family. This all changed after the 1921 coup brought an end to the Kehar dynasty and brought to power Reza Shah. Reza Shah refused to give concessions to foreign powers and focused on growing Iran. The Soviet Union came to be one year later, which caused the USSR to focus on domestic growth as well. As Iran began to grow in importance to the West, chiefly to the United Kingdom and the United States, Reza Shah and his son, the last Shah of Iran, Mohammad Reza Shah, would use the West's fear of communism to their advantage. If Iran would not get what it wanted from its Western trade partners, it would go make a small deal with the USSR to remind them who was in charge. Despite the once contentious history between these two nations, it seems like they have found a common ground. Perception as an enemy of the West. I made a lofty claim that the stablecoin experiment between Iran and Russia will fail and cause them to adopt Bitcoin. How will it fail? There is no trust. There never was, and there never will be. Trust can be eroded while the network is being formed. While many Russians and Iranian leaders may believe that their country's top engineers can craft a product that is able to circumvent any adversarial attack, what is to stop the other country from giving themselves backdoor access? What is stopping someone from creating a way to double spend tokens? Now, this is all conjecture. I am presenting just a handful of potential flaws in this system. How many more can you think of? The largest question is regarding the gold reserves backing said stablecoin. Where will the gold be stored? 
And who will verify that the amount of gold listed is still there at any given time? Given the lack of trust, neither country can be expected to blindly accept that the other is holding the amount of gold it claims to be. And sanctions prevent a reputable third party from getting involved, although China could fit into the puzzle in some way here, but yeah, shh, this is me talking. I wouldn't trust their ass either. As this very large and very important hurdle is met, another question will continue to loom. Why? Why do we need any of this when there is a cryptocurrency out there with enough liquidity to suffice their needs and that requires no trust in either party? Both Iran and Russia have banned residents from using Bitcoin, but they have also reversed some of their positions over time. It is safe to say that both governments are still in the process of understanding the power and scope of what cryptocurrencies have to offer. It is also worth noting that, should this joint effort be successful, it will not be the first gold-backed cryptocurrency. In conclusion, both countries are still in the information-gathering stage, and if by some miracle, a researcher stumbles across this article, let me spell it out in plain, or spell it out plain and simple. History has proven that when given the opportunity to control money, the people in charge will manipulate the money for their benefit. There is a reason the Roman Empire fell and that we don't use guilders or pounds as global currencies. Instead of bringing this temptation into the equation, adopting a trustless form of money that cannot be manipulated or inflated is the only solution. Bitcoin is the inevitable money you are looking for. Whether you get there before your enemies is up to you. And Bitcoin is for enemies. We all know that. That's the end of the article. I'm just saying that, that we all know that Bitcoin is, is for enemies. This is an interesting power dynamic that is occurring. And it's not going to just include Iran and Russia. See, what I believe is actually happening is that the West is not how to put this? When I push on a wall, the wall pushes, the reason the wall doesn't immediately fall over is because it's pushing back with equal, equal yet opposite force. So taking that into consideration as one of the primary three laws of physics, which it is, that's why we don't fall through the earth. And it's, it's all due to electromagne, the electromagnetic force, if you want to know where that comes from. It's one of the four uh, fundamental forces of nature that was created at the time of the Big Bang, and that is the electromagnetic force. And that's what prevents us from falling through the sidewalk as we walk. And that's the strongest force that there is. How do I know? If I jump off a 40-story building, 40-story building, it takes a great amount of time for me to gather up speed by the time I hit terminal velocity. It takes a fraction of a second to stop all of that energy when I hit the ground. Gravity takes time. It's a weaker force than electromagnetism. Electromagnetism is the strongest of the four forces. Just that's how it works, okay? And that's what guides the second law of physics. Now, given that, you see the West because that's all the news that we have, right? That's all the, all, all the media in the world. It's all Western media and it's all playing the same tune. See how the West is controlling the world. We ain't controlling shit. We are in a very, very precarious situation. We keep projecting 
pushing on the wall. We keep projecting our power, our laws, our sanctions, our will to the rest of the world. But I think all we're really doing is making this, the jail cell that we are finding ourselves in more and more complete and smaller and smaller in area. This shit's not going to hold. Now, that doesn't, should, like, somebody's going, okay, well, so you're anti-American. No, I'm not. I'm anti-federal government. And that goes for Canada's federal government, United States, Mexico's federal government, uh, Ireland, their federal government fucking sucks. UK, then go screw. Pound sand, bitch. All of them. China, does that mean I like China's federal government? No, they're freaking communists. I don't want to have anything to do with that crap. Most governments are in a, are run by very bad people with very bad obligations that they have. And those obligations that they entered into were driven by greed and misfeasance and malfeasance and a want of control. Don't you have anything better to do with your time? Like, I don't know, start a farm or go fishing. I guess not. It, it, in either event. I just think what I see is that these very, very bad actors in the West, which are nowhere worse or better than the bad actors in the rest of the world, are somehow or another power projecting, but now it's not projecting outwards, it's bouncing off and it's coming back inwards. And we're finding ourselves in more and more of a precarious situation. While Russia and China and Iran and Iraq and all these assholes, they're actually more free to move around than we are led to believe. Keep that in mind. Because I'm not looking at the West for Bitcoin adoption. If you've listened to this show, you know that. It's all of Latin America, the continent of Africa, and now I'm just going to flat ass add the Middle East to that as well as the Balkans and the Baltics and like far-flung Eastern Europe where where your European Union just doesn't give a shit about them anymore. That's where Bitcoin adoption happens. And the West is going to be the last to adopt and we're going to pay the highest price for that. That's which is a, a damn shame. And it's like, you know, people like uh New York. That's this is this is the the attitude. New York regulators warn crypto companies against commingling f- customer funds. Now, this isn't so bad, but it's still regulatory stuff. They want to control something. And the more they, it's like Governor Tarkin in Star Wars, in the first movie in the, you know, 1970, what was it, 1979? The more you squeeze, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. This is the same shit. But Andre Bagansky has it for decrypt. Crypto companies were put on notice Monday when New York regulators issued yet a new warning about how to properly handle their customers' digital assets. In an open letter addressed to the industry, the New York Department of Financial Services outlined how customer assets should be separated from each other, how they should be used by custodians, and how to maintain the proper disclosures required when holding on to digital assets for clients. The new set of guidelines applies to companies that operate in New York State and hold a bit license. 
a business license issued by New York beginning in 2015 to companies involved in digital asset activities. And I'm going to add and further crushed any ability for New York state to have in Bitcoin as an industry. Yeah, you just shot yourself in the foot. The notice comes as federal prosecutors in New York dig further and further into the collapse of FTX under founder and former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried, who is accused of funneling billions of dollars worth of customer assets from the exchange to fuel trades that is now defunct hedge fund Alameda Research. As stewards of others' assets, virtual currency entities that act as custodians must have robust processes in place akin to traditional finance service providers, the NYDFS states. Asset custodians, such as America's oldest bank, BNY Mellon, play the crucial role in finance of holding on to customer assets, whether they be funds or stocks, in an organized and secure manner. The new guidelines more specifically outline how digital assets should be handled. The regulator advised custodians to keep digital assets that belong to others separate from those that belong to the custodian itself. For example, both on-chain and in the custodian's internal books while maintaining appropriate records. It also asserted that assets under the control of a custodian should only be held for the purpose of safekeeping and custodians, quote, will not thereby establish a debtor-creditor relationship with the customer when the possession of the digital assets is transferred. Custodians are also required to provide their customers with written disclosures that specify specific arrangements such as how the custodian segregates and accounts for the virtual currency held in custody, as well as the customer's retained property interest in the virtual currency. In crafting the new guidelines, the agency said it conducted a, quote, robust, again, the word robust analysis of the existing regulatory landscape examined market trends, and spoke with industry players as well as other state and federal regulators. Yeah, who did you talk to? I'll bet the answer is top men. While the new rules are straightforward, bit licenses have had a controversial reputation among some members of the crypto community who have critiqued them in the past, such as Kraken's Jesse Powell. Kraken CEO pulled Kraken out of the state in 2015, in response to the regulatory framework in New York, years later, he compared the state to, quote, an abusive controlling ex you broke up with three years ago, but they keep stalking you, end quote. As recently as May of last year, Powell remained critical of bit licenses, calling out the regulation as burdensome to the digital asset industry. Quote, after all this time, I mean, if we just looked back and did a study of the economic damage done by the bit license, I'm, I'm sure it would be tremendous in the billions of dollars, he said on an episode of Decrypt's GM podcast. One more, one more and I'll let you go. El Salvador has paid back $800 million of a maturing bond, President Nayib Bukele says. Do we trust him? I still don't know if I can trust this guy, but eh, let's go on. Andres Engler has it for Coindesk. El Salvador's $800 million bond issue, which is set to mature today, has been repaid with interest, President Nayib Bukele said on Twitter. Finance Minister Alejandro Zelaya confirmed the same news on his own Twitter account. Quote, in the past year, almost every legacy international news outlet said that because of our Bitcoin bet, El Salvador was going to default on its debt by January 2023. 
since we had an $800 million bond maturing today, Bukele said. Literally hundreds of articles, he continued. Bukele noted that he's only been able to find one article from a Colombian newspaper that's published news of the repayment. In 2021, El Salvador became the first country in the world to adopt Bitcoin as an official currency, and earlier in the month, the Legislative Assembly of El Salvador approved a law that will serve as a legal framework for the issuance of the country's long-delayed Bitcoin-backed bonds, also known as the Volcano Bond. And that's all there is to that article. How do we know if he's actually repaid it? We've never, we, we never... We've never asked ourselves these questions. We've never had to. And a lot of that is because we, we've never really been interested in what the hell El Salvador bonds are. We don't know who, I mean, I don't know who holds them. I guess it's, are they international bonds? Who, you know, who's the, uh, who's the custodian of said bond? I'm sure all this information is known and maybe half of my listeners actually know and they're screaming at me right now, you idiot, don't you know it's X thing that holds the bond? That's not really the point that I'm getting to. Like 10 years ago, did you give a shit if Ghana repaid a bond? And if you did, did you know who held the bond? Why do we care now? I was never interested in finance until Bitcoin bit me on the ass. And I'm really not interested in finance in the legacy way. I have to learn what's going on in the legacy markets to understand where we're going in the future. And... Honestly, I'm actually kind of fascinated. I'm not going to go get an economics degree because of it, but I am fascinated. But still, the question remains. How do we know? How do, hell, how do we know if El Salvador has the Bitcoin that they say they have? Again, I'm not taking a dump on El Salvador or the Bitcoin bonds or the holding of Bitcoin or the law or El Salvador itself or its people. I'm not... I'm just interested. I want it to work. And it's only going to work is the only way it's going to work for El Salvador on all of this stuff is if we can verify individually and separately from El Salvador that these things actually have occurred. Naib Bukele is still not forthcoming with how he's going to prove that El Salvador holds the amount of Bitcoin that it says. I don't know how to prove whether or not El Salvador repaid this bond and with interest. And does that mean that that debt is, is fully extinguished in the eyes of the custodian of said bond? I don't know. Chances are good. Neither do you. If somebody does know, if somebody has Evidence beyond a shadow of a freaking doubt. Please boostagram me. I'll take even a Satoshi for that one, right? I've never put, I'm never going to put a, a limit on how much you have to give me for me to give a shit about your boostagram, okay? I'm just That's just not the way that I think it should work, but be that as it may. If you know how I can find out for myself that Nayib Bukele and El Salvador have repaid this $800 million bond with interest, I am dying to know what that information is. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. And honestly, that's going to do it for the whole damn show. I ain't even got a joke today. But is there anything that we've learned today? Yeah, there is. The most important thing that we've learned today 
is that your education happens to you whether you are aware of it happening to you or not and whether you like it or not. The only way for you to become an, or stop your education, actually, I don't even know if this would work, but I'm going to posit it, is to lock yourself in a room without any information inputs whatsoever. No television, no cell phone, no computer, no books, no magazines, not even a pen and a pencil to write with. Completely in the dark. Then maybe your education ceases, except probably not. Why? You carry your brain with you. And your brain will start processing what you already do know. And that's part of your education. So when I say that when I see these, these, these quote unquote new age crypto banks and the, the Bitcoin people that are out there that are doing the same thing that they would have done in the legacy financial system with, you know, stocks, bonds, equities, you know, whatever, whatever financial instruments are out there. I can't help but to think that the reason that they're doing it in a place that is ultimately going to be allergic. Bitcoin has an allergic reaction to this. We've seen it in action. It is a tremendous self-fulfilling immune system that Bitcoin has. We're a part of it, but it has its own. These things that were in the legacy system don't fit here. And we keep trying to fit it here and it's not working and we're not learning. Why? Because you and your parents and your grandparents and their parents before them at least have been steeped in the very worst education about what money is, what it does, how to hold it, how to view it, how to think about it that has ever occurred to the human species. It is the worst education that we've ever gotten. We know how to read books better than we know how to understand money. We know how to do general math better than we understand how to do money. People that have never hunted before in their life probably know more about hunting than they know about money. See where I'm going with this? It's not our fault. If you, if you take, uh, let's say, if, let's say if I take, if I make dumplings, all right, out of flour, egg, and water, and I put them into like little dough balls, right? And I drop them into a very heavy beef stock and boil them. Do you not think that those dumplings, which never tasted like beef before, won't taste like beef after? If you think that they won't, you're wrong because they took up the environment around them. That's how we flavor food. And you're like the carrot in a stew. Whatever it is you're being stewed in, you become part of whether you knew it or not, whether you liked it or not. So when you get confused as to why people like Barry Silbert are doing the exact same thing that all the rest of the legacy financial people do, even though they know it doesn't work in the new system, it's because they can't be anything else. Not unless they try. It's hard. But that's the path that we've been given. You will either choose to walk it, and it will be hard, and remain hard, and never get easier, and probably get harder, or you will choose to remain in the legacy thought patterns. Both ways are hard, 
one is easier at first. Guess which one and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.